Up next, join Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood for Episode 9 of Stack Overflow, here on IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood, here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. Uh, the WWDC is going on, right? The uh, Apple yeah. conference. There was a the Apple uh, pilgrimage uh, to uh, the Mecca. That's right. I Moscow. think there was some new product they introduced. I don't know what it was. I haven't heard anything about it yet. But uh, I think there might have been a new product introduction. Our listeners will probably know more about it than us because by the time it hits the uh, <laughs> airwaves. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it was fun. I got to meet a, a, a few uh, Apple people. And uh, oh, did you actually go? Oh well, no, I didn't go to the conference. There was a sort of a. a there was just like a really cool line outside that you just hang out at. <laughs> There's a little event that I went to. Uh, I was actually invited by uh, Will Shipley, who uh, wrote the Delicious Monster software. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and also um, he is a user of Fogbugs, as I found out yeah. when I met with him. And uh, uh-huh. he had very favorable things to say about Fogbugs. So. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and when I talked to him, I, I, I told him, I was like, yeah, you know, uh, uh, talking about Joel. And he's like, oh, is Joel here? And I said, no, 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 Joel's in New York. <laughs> I have people for that. I sent my people. To, to actually there attend are, these events? Yeah, there are, couple, there are a couple of Creek people there. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, Will kind of reminds me of you a little. I don't know why. Hmm. I think it's just the general attitude, I guess. He's very outspoken. Is he, like, st- stunningly handsome? <laughs> And he's just very outspoken, very opinionated. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. great guy. So that, that's where I was at. I got to do that. That was kind of fun. So one thing I um, posted about this week and got a lot of feedback on, and maybe I'm sure you'll have an opinion as well, was as we mm-hmm. as we work on Stack Overflow, we're actually building out a lot of functionality in JavaScript. Uh, oh yeah, just go for it. Yeah, because there's it's just it's really mature now. There's so many common frameworks. We're using jQuery. But a lot of the things mm-hmm. we want to do, it just seems That's very right. natural to do it in kind of semi, a semi-dynamic way. Like, for example, the, the editor we're going to use uh, is, has a very unfortunate name, WMD, but it's, it's based on Markdown. <laughs> And it has a, a real-time preview, and that's, that's a component that's already built, but that's uh, JavaScript. And then some of the other things we're going to do, such as when you ask a question, uh, it's going to, out of band, go out and query to see if other questions similar to the one you're asking have already been asked. And that's another thing where it just seemed natural to sort of do it yep. as you type. Yep, yep. Uh, so, so, yeah. So one of the questions I posed on the blog was, you know, is it okay to, at least when you're asking a question and when you're you know, actively participating when you're in the editing. site, uh, and editing, exactly. Yeah. Um, is it okay to sort of basically kind of require javascript i mean I, i'm sure i'm not the, the the site won't be broken if you have javascript off but it will be probably a pretty poor experience uh, does anybody really turn off javascript nowadays and like successfully surf the internet yeah i was going through my blog like and half of all things would be broken 
Yeah, I, and I kind of asked that question in, in 2006. <laughs> I was like, well, who really browses the internet with JavaScript off? And, and now, like in 2008, it seems even more sort of ridiculous that, that someone would do that. Uh, I, I think there are obviously accessibility concerns that I think I'm tempted to scrap. Uh, yeah, I'm tempted to scrap IE6. I, I think we'll work on IE6. I'm not too worried about the visual look. My feeling with IE6 is as long as the site kind of works, it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to look right. <laughs> well, you'll find all kinds of little, little weird JavaScript weirdnesses with the editor and stuff, and it'll, at least our experience is it takes a lot of time to backwards test all those things and get them working on IE6. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, but, one of the weirder, weirder news items that came out of the WWDC was uh, mobile me, according to Apple, right. doesn't support IE6, and that was I guess, kind of news. But yeah, IE6 is generally reviled. It's sort of like the old Netscape 4.7. Or just and apparently, did you hear the reason that, that MobileMe doesn't support IE6? Well, they're Apple. Do they really need a reason for doing the things that they do? The, they just the do reason stuff. is that there's some kind of bug with cookies from two-letter domain names. Because it's me.com. Really? That's the IE6 cool. had some kind of bug with... That's what I heard. Really? That's interesting. I didn't know that. I hadn't yeah. heard that explanation yet. Just one of these rumors that floats around. Oh, and also a pronunciation thing, because of course I'm the bad pronunciation king. I have said OS okay. X before, which is wrong. It's actually OS. No, they will. Yeah, it's OS 10. 10. And I apologize to everyone who was whose ears were offended by that, because I just I didn't know. I, I say that too. I can't remember. That's one of those things that I'm never going to be able to remember. <laughs> I found Life some short post that was they great. their operating system. You know, it was funny. Their proof for it, which was very amusing, which I agree with actually, was that. In OS X's uh, speech synthesis module, if you type oh. OS, you know, in the character X, it'll actually read it as OS X. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure I've heard Apple employees say OS X. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, you know, just uh, uh, according to several sources, authoritative sources, it is in fact OS X, so I'm trying to say it the right way. So I apologize. Well, you're going to have to remind me because I don't have brain cells for that particular application right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I was even searching for that. I think it was just one of those things. It's weird. I'll be working during the day and I'll have just some random thought. And like, oh, i got to look this up. Of course, it's totally interrupting whatever I'm doing. Uh, it's very much an attention deficit disorder. But hey, I learn useless things like how to pronounce you know, OS X. There's an article, which is probably not worth reading, but the title says it all, um, by Nicholas Carr, called, uh, Is Google Making Us Stupid? Oh, you know, I, you and I are on the same wavelength. I have that up on my screen. I totally was going to talk about that. All right. Well, then I guess I better read it. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. Um, now, remember, Nicholas Carr, the only reason you've ever even heard of him is because he wrote this book claiming that all these companies spending money on IT projects are uh, uh, a waste of time because all they're doing is fu fussing around with the fonts and the typesetting in their PowerPoint slides, and they're not actually adding any productive value in any way. Yes. So that was kind of his first major getting himself on the map by claiming that all this, all this IT work we've been doing, adding GUIs and WYSI things and fonts, uh, just creates make work that doesn't actually create any comp long-term competitive advantage for any particular firm. And that, just to be clear with our audience, that book was called IT Doesn't Matter, as in It Doesn't Matter. Yeah. Um, so is Google making us uh, stupid is an excellent uh, follow-up probably to that uh, kind of the large picture. Yeah. No, he's, he's a brilliant writer. I mean, he's, this, this particular article is in The Atlantic, so you know he's a real writer. Because if you get published in The Atlantic, you're, you're actually a writer. So what I do is just sort of hackery. Oh. But uh, <laughs> he's a real writer. 
Um, he's really good. And he actually has linked to my blog before, which is always a little thrill when people are really, really good link to your blog. But not from the Atlantic. Pardon me? But he, he linked to your blog, but not from the Atlantic. Not from the Atlantic. No, no, no. From his own yeah. blog, which is called Rough Type. Um, right. But it, it's really funny that you bring that up because I literally do have that up on my screen. And that article, which I did read actually last night on BART on the way back from this uh, WWDC party, mm-hmm. um, was interesting because it was saying that, you know, the way you consume information online sort of changes the way that you actually approach reading fundamentally, which I, I think you can make kind of a case for this because he, he had a lot of – it's somewhat anecdotal, right? Mm-hmm. But he also yeah. cites this study, which was uh, really interesting in the UK, and I'll read you just this one little paragraph. So in the study – as this is actual science, right? They said, it is clear that you <laughs> are not reading online in the traditional sense. Instead, there are signs of new forms of reading emerging as users power browse horizontally through titles – contents pages and abstracts, going for quick wins. It almost seems that they go online to avoid reading in the traditional sense. Um, well, that used to be called speed reading, and they used to, they used to sell courses on television. T- late night, you would tune in television, and there would be a person advertising a course in speed reading. So I'm not sure this is entirely completely new. No, no, no. This activity. I agree it's not at all new. Um, but but uh, Power browsing. Except now we call it power browsing instead of uh, uh, speed reading. You know, it's it's funny. I remember talking to my dad at one point, and he was asking me. My dad and I used to be. I'm, I was always a very avid reader as as a kid, and my dad and I would go to the library together and get books for each other and stuff like that. And my dad asked me, he's like, "Oh, what books have you read recently?" And I said, "You know, I haven't really read a lot of books. I spend most of my time reading stuff on the internet, and that still is kind of true. Like I, I'm reading the Clay Shirky book for sure, but yeah, the number have of you books finished I that yet? Is very very small now." Have you, did, you, did you finish Clay's book? I haven't finished it. I'm about halfway through it, but God, I love it. The more I read it, the more I like it. And I, I did follow up with Jared, the guy, one of, one of the Stack Overflow team. I gave him my original copy of the book while he's here, and he's, he's reading it as well. So I did follow up on his homework. Uh, did you get to the part? Uh, the part that I thought was kind of interesting is uh, he talks about uh, the most popular meetup groups. I don't know. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, well, what's kind of interesting is that the most popular meetup groups – are probably not what you would expect. Um, where the heck is this meetup? Uh, meetup. Uh, how, how would I find this on the internet? Anyway, they're not the things you would expect. Uh, there's Chihuahuas is real popular. Um, there's stay-at-home moms is is absolutely huge. Uh, and then there are all these sort of not mainstream religions like Wiccans and spirituality and athe- atheism and stuff. So it's sort of the kind of people that like the the mainstream religions have a place to organize. And so they go there, but the non-mainstream religions uh, use Meetup because they don't have, you know, churches yet, at least. And I thought that was kind of interesting, and it sort of applies uh, to Stack Overflow in the sense that uh, if Meetup had defined what Meetups they wanted to create, if they had sort of come up with their own list of things, they would not necessarily have thought of the things that became popular. And they certainly wouldn't have. When you look at that list, they're just the things are just too bizarre: Chihuahuas and stay-at-home moms and Wiccans. Uh, you know, they never would have it never would have occurred to them to create meetups for those particular groups, um, because you know they might have thought of you know Democrats, Republicans, but these are these are these are groups that actually have places to meet anyway. Right. Uh, and and uh, the way that applies to Stack Overflow, I think, is that 
you know, we might have a temptation to go in there and say, hey, let's make an area for Java questions, an area for Python questions, and an area for .NET questions, um, and discover that there really there already are really good places to ask, let's say, Java questions, for example. Um, but if our but if our system was just tag this any way you want, uh, then we might start to see tags emerge that reflect maybe a funny list of weird things like people programming the uh, iPod SDK using Ruby because there's no good place to talk about that. Or, you know, it may, may just be sort of more bizarre things uh, that don't actually have uh, great existing communities and they might emerge. And, our, you know, our top 10 most popular tags may not be Windows programming or, or web programming. They may be something very unusual that we never would have thought of. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And actually, a real-world example that, that came up, uh, I was talking to Jared yesterday, uh, on the Ask page, we were originally thinking that maybe we would provide um, some sort of visual list of the existing tags to sort of help users mm-hmm. out and understand you know, what tags they can apply to a post. But then we realized like, mm-hmm. actually showing a list and any kind of hierarchy to the list means that we would be in charge of that. And, th- and when we started thinking through like what those tags should be and what they would look like, we realized that there's no way to do that and really you know, understand the relationship between these tags. It's sort of an, an insoluble problem. Um, in other mm-hmm. words, you don't really know what people want to talk about before they're going to talk about it. So you have sort of a chicken and egg problem. So what we uh, eventually realized was instead of having a visual list, we're just going to have literally a text box where as you type, we're going to auto-complete with some of the tags people have already used. So you'll get a hint of, oh, there's .NET, there's Python, there's you know, uh, iPhone, uh, yeah. Objective-C, things like that. So people don't misspell the tags. Uh, but That's kind of useful. Yeah, but in general, it's, it's basically, um, there's no hierarchy. It's just whatever people want to talk about. Whenever they want to talk about it, you just type in the words. Um, because, w- for example, we were thinking, okay, well, you could have top-level categories like, okay, .NET, Python, um, you know, C, things like that. Right. Um, but then the relationships become really weird because you could talk about .NET and then Python at the same time because you have, say, Iron Python. Um, and there might be, like, Python frameworks that normally you would only right. talk about in the context of Python, but then all of a sudden you're talking about in the context of .NET. So if you make that a parent-child relationship, it has multiple parents. And, yeah, so it, it becomes a very flat list, which is, I think, simpler in, in a way. Uh, but it's an example of, of what you're talking about, where it's just you, you don't know what the community wants to talk about, so you don't want to mm-hmm. uh, sort of institutionalize those relationships in code. It doesn't really make sense to do that. And I think we may discover that the, the tags that emerge as the most popular ones uh, might not be what we expected. That will probably almost certainly be true. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to seed the community. Uh, with your .NET discussion group. And for anyone who hasn't heard of us talk about that so far, Joel does have on his site, It's uh, I believe it's discuss.joelonsoftware.com. Is that right, Joel? Right. So there's an existing community there, and we're going to turn off oh, parts uh, of .NET questions. Yeah, yeah, .NET questions. Thank you. We're going to turn off that community and say, hey, guys, you know, Stack Overflow is the new you know, approved, blessed version of this. Um, <laughs> and then hopefully you know, we'll get some initial early adopters on that. We were thinking also about the beginning of the site. It's going to be a little weird because <laughs> once we get – so there's really going to be a couple phases, and it's still uh, scheduled to happen uh, near the end of this month. We're going to let you look at it because <laughs> we figure you're going to have a lot of change for, changes for us once you see it up and running. <laughs> you so we're going to go through a cycle with just you. Then we're going to go oh. through a cycle with uh, 
people on the private beta list, which now is, I think, like 300 names. Uh, so uh, maybe a two-week cycle that way. So before anyone actually yep. sees it, we're hoping we can get all the suck out of it, right? <laughs> all the all dumb mistakes yeah. we made that we didn't think about. Uh, having more eyes look at it, well, hopefully, by the time it's actually consumed by the public, uh, it'll be sort of a... I don't even... I, I don't mind if it sucks when people first see it, but there should be something there. Like, that's why I, like, I, I want to have a beta, because if people come to it and it's literally empty, they won't really know what to do. And they'll say, okay, that was fun. Why did I just waste my time? And they won't come back. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I think on a professional level, too, it's a little scary when Jared, Jeff, and I, the Stack Overflow team, work on this. We realize it has to be pretty good because there's a lot of eyeballs on it. Um, but, then, you know, that's the way it should be. I mean, there should be some uh, professional pressure to produce things that are good. I mean, I think that should be the natural order of things. I was always scared when I was in environments where you it didn't matter what you pooped out. It's like people had to accept <laughs> it because you were the only people doing it. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, all IT where <laughs> you know, they, they just have to consume whatever it is you happen to produce and they have to like it because, you know, that's where they work. So, I mean, there should be competitive pressure here, right? Like, if they don't, if people look at Stack Overflow and go, you know what, this kind of sucks, and this other side is better, it's like that's that's the way the world should work. There should be choices so that you have incentive not to suck. But it it can you know it can it can be uh, you know it can be missing limbs. I mean, it can be seriously broken as long as there's questions and answers there, and, and quality people are giving quality answers to quality questions. Because right. uh, everything else we can fix after we launch, and as long as people feel like they can ask a question and get an answer, uh, they'll they'll be willing to try it out. They're not gonna. I don't, I don't think this audience is gonna really care that much about, especially in the early days, about the visuals being perfect and the UI being totally slick. Right. No. Yeah. It, it's a process of evolution, absolutely. And and certainly the attitude I've I've learned from my blog, and I think with web apps in general, you get this sort of healthy um, attitude towards apps that sort of grow over time, where you're sort of gardening. I call it like web gardening, where you don't. Mm-hmm. It's like a marathon, not a sprint, right? <laughs> um, have you ever Have you ever gone to one of those? Uh, you go to one of those new websites that everybody's talking about on TechCrunch or whatever, and you get there and the graphics are just stunning and it's just visually perfect in the UI. A lot of work has gone into it. And the actual functionality of the site is just blah. It's just uninteresting and boring and you never go back. And you think, okay, that's the last time I'm ever going there. I think there's a lot of stuff like that. And there's, I don't really like to go to um, TechCrunch because I feel like it's it's what I call venture capital pornography. Um, oh. Where it's, it becomes about yeah. making money more than actually yeah, making things that useful and interesting. And I just I, that culture really bothers me for some reason. Uh, and when people complain about Michael Arrington and stuff like that, I, I tell them I'm like, look, just don't don't go there. <laughs> go to that site. Yeah. Well, my my complaint about TechCrunch, this is sort of unrelated, is that it's it's presenting itself as a as a news site, but there's actually no news gathering activities happening there. Well, he, Arrington does post some commentary now and then, and some of his commentary. Okay, can so then be it could be a commentary site. Yeah. But it, it's pretty rare. I mean, for the most part, it's just, you know, oh, look, another Web 2.0 site that does X. Um, yeah. So in that sense, it's not really doing a whole lot. But it's become a huge phenomenon, obviously. I mean, Arrington is like an industry unto himself now. So take it take it for what it is, I guess. Must be one of these Silicon Valley things. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I have a friend who... Uh, sort of has been immersed in that culture for a while. And actually, this friend, and you might have um, 
heard, he had a video called Here Comes Another Bubble. I don't know if you saw this. It became viral. Is that oh, that was funny. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah that was hilarious. It's great. His name is Matt Hempy. He's a really, really smart guy. And, you know, part of the reason I think he wrote that was the, this whole frustration with sort of the Silicon Valley culture where, you know, it's sort of navel-gazing at some level. It's like you're doing stuff because other people are doing stuff. And and the whole tech crunch cycle of doing that is, is, is very funny. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, you're right. That's one aspect of Silicon Valley culture I don't necessarily care for, is the echo chamber of you know everybody doing stuff on TechCrunch. Um, but but you know I, I think they really believe that TechCrunch brings you a large number of hits to your website, but completely so, empty hits. It's kind of like those dig links to your site. Right, the people that don't hang around and don't really make accounts, and you might actually you know in the early days you might have actually gotten a few people to sign up that way. Well, it's kind of like um, soccer, but it's, uh, soccer hooligans, right? I mean, they care about <laughs> the whatever immediate pleasure they can get from clicking on your site. Like, oh, look, a funny picture of a dog or, <laughs> you know, whatever. There's sort of too much of it, too. I, I think TechCrunch sort of posts too much, and there's too many new sites there for any reasonable person to actually go check them out. At some point, it's just like, oh, God, another – yes, I know, it's a site. I could. That's fine. Tell me about the good ones. Don't tell me about everything. Well, I think, too, it lacks context. I mean, if you're reading a blog post about somebody who's talking about, you know, I had this problem, and blah, 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 and then in the context of that problem, they say, oh, then there's a site that has this cool thing that helped me with my problem. Then it's contextual. Mm-hmm. But see, TechCrunch is just new site, new site, new site, new site. New sites because there are new sites, which doesn't really they also um, <laughs> They also report on Twitter being down. Oh, oh very God, useful. to pull axe to grind with Twitter is very, very tedious. And hey, speaking <laughs> of which, uh, you, you said by email you're actually on instant messaging now. Is that true now? Uh, yes, but uh, pretty much uh, – oh, look, you're, I invited you, but you didn't, I didn't accept what? my invitation. Oh, I should – oh, there we go. <laughs> my bad. Invite again. I know. I, I don't even like you. It's, that's the problem. It's like I don't really want – you know, your advances are kind of unwanted from my perspective. No, I'm just kidding. Very funny. <laughs> uh, I haven't I haven't done IM because I, I used to do IRC in the old days, and I know what a time sink it is, and so I just pretty much stopped with the time sink thing. Yeah, no, no, I I'm with you. I mean, I'm a bit of a luddite when it comes to instant messaging. Like I've really, really resisted it for a long, long time. <laughs> now Joel's having out of band conversation with me on on. Oh, now you just inmanded it, you <laughs> you cheater. Uh, I just thought it was funny, uh, but hey, it's your, um, your little Reddit icon for the Joel Reddit. It's nice. Yeah, that's what I use in my avatar these days. Well, I had to do IM because we uh, we opened a second office for Fog Creek because we just overflowed this one. Oh, right. And uh, haven't yet, yeah, we haven't yet consolidated everybody in the new big office because the new big office right now is a construction site. Last time we were there, it was almost completely demolished except for some tiles which were stuck to the floor. And there were a couple of old workers sitting on the floor with toothpicks or something trying to scrape them off <laughs> these last remaining tiles. <laughs> And I was trying to get them upgraded to wood toothpicks because I thought that might go a little faster. Mm-hmm. But um, no go. I think it's just going to take us six months to get this construction done. Wow. Hope not. I hope I hope uh, in September we'll be moving. Well, I, uh, I just want to read your ink article. I mean, it sounds like the space is going to be really awesome. So I think it'll be one of those things that's worth waiting for. It's going to be really cool. And definitely, yeah. you know, Office Snapshots, I think that was – was that the correct name of the site that we referenced for you? Uh, I think so. I think that is that is it. Yeah. People really like that. Like a bunch of people. Like I had never heard of it, and then you found it, and people are like, wow. People spent all this time actually browsing it, and I got all this really good feedback. That was a great find. And my, I think my point is that it's worth waiting for this stuff because people really appreciate mm-hmm. that there's someone out there who cares about this stuff. 
Particularly What's cool about office work for you? We don't talk too much about the people who <laughs> work for you, but I'm assuming they care about this stuff like you do and appreciate this stuff. So I, I think it'll be worth it, even if it takes if some people have to work in the hallway for a while, right? <laughs> <laughs> if uh, yeah, there's a couple of people doubled up in offices, including me. But um, what you you have multiple people in your office? Uh, yeah, oh, Michael Parr is right here. Oh, nice. If I tell any really good jokes, you'll hear some sort of laughing from the background there. <laughs> no, I don't think we'll have that problem. No. And, um, uh, yeah, what was I, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, the new office. Yeah, the reason I read Office Snapshots, actually, is uh, everybody else is reading it to sort of daydream about nicer places to work. And I read it to make sure that nobody has a better working environment than we do. <laughs> I'm always, like, looking at it, and I'm like, oh, come on. You just put a bunch of chairs in a big room yeah. with some tables. Yeah. And then it's cool because you've got like little rubber duckies on, lined up on the top of somebody's monitor. Yeah. No. And, and I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna wait till you guys move in. And I'm gonna I'm gonna gift you guys a rock band setup so you can actually have that for your new space awesome. as a you know house an office warming gift. I think that'll make sense. So wait. That, wait. that reminds me that I gotta buy a gigantic projector and a gigantic uh, yes uh, projector screen you will for the uh, new lunch. You will definitely need that. Uh, so let's see. Oh, hey, another thing with Stack Overflow. We actually did our first uh, server deployment. So we actually what? took the code we're working on and deployed it to the uh, the Crystal Tech server that we have dedicated for that purpose. Oh. We had, we had actually very, very annoying problems with the deployment, which was sort of amusing, I guess. Can I go there yet? Uh, you could. It's, Just I have the URL, and then all the people won't hear it, and I can go there, and I can... Yeah, I, I, I will. Um so the problem we actually had was, so we're using yeah. ASP.NET MVC, and ASP.NET MVC is still under development, sort of. Yeah. So we have a little bit of a dependency there that's kind of weird. So my hope is that by the time, like basically a month, you know, less than a month even, um, we'll, the, something deployable will go out where there's like a, you know, a, what Microsoft calls a go-live license, where you're using stuff that's not yeah. fully baked yet, but they guarantee that there's going to be no more breaking changes in like the APIs and things like that. So the next version won't, you know, cause you to have to rewrite all your code and stuff like that. Um, so my hope is we'll have a go live license sometime mm-hmm. uh, before that happens. Um, but we actually entered this weird um, .NET DLL hell. You remember, of course, everybody knows DLL hell, right? <laughs> don't, don't I've never had a .NET before, <laughs> but this was a first for me. Uh, it turned out some really Except they call them like assemblies just to be confusing. Well, it was a really obscure just settings in the config file that were very, mm-hmm. very, very subtle um, that turned out to be really relevant under IS7, but not relevant. So there's two ways you run the site. There's You can run it in the uh, Visual Studio um, embedded web browser, which is used to be codenamed Cassini. Um, and you can, of course, you can also run it in IS7 on the server. It turns out that certain sections of the config file become super important under IS7, and they're really tweaky things that can be wrong with it that are very, like, I'm talking like single character things that are, <laughs> I mean, these sort of things that, like, blow up the space shuttle, right? Like, oh, there was this semicolon in the wrong place, so, you know, uh-huh. everything exploded. Uh, so <laughs> that was that was fun to deal with. But, uh, but yeah, we did deploy to the server, which was uh, kind of nice. Cool. We use, um, while I'm plugging products here, we use this thing called Final Builder um, for everything building and deploying. I've, I've actually used a really old version of that way back when. The new version's really cool. It's got a web-based uh, interface now, so you can everybody can kind of final build from their desks if you have multiple people. 
And uh, it basically knows how to do stuff. So instead of like a make file, you're basically typing command lines at it. But Final Builder knows how to do things like check out from source code for all the major source code repositories. It knows how to launch Visual Studio and do a full build. It just knows all kinds of stuff. I mean, it knows about thousands and thousands of different, not thousands, hundreds of different apps that a developer might use. And it, and it you know, will present you with options like in dialog box form to launch those apps and do various things. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to make kind of a final build script where it's just one click uh, to get the whole thing uh, built and out on a server. Um, and then you could set up like one that gets it to a test server and one that promotes it to a live server. Uh, and that way you don't have to remember all 37 steps that it takes to get something built and deployed. Right. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I think one thing about having a tool that's sort of out of band from your development environment is, you know, that's aware of all these different methods of building and all these other different applications. So mm-hmm. um, that, it knows how to copy files. It knows how to like copy this file. If that file is lighter than that file and do all kinds of cool stuff. I've done stuff like that with MS Build, which is Microsoft's, um, I guess you would say, uh, Ant clone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and it, it does a lot of the same stuff. And there's actually a set of community tasks you can plug into it that are essentially .NET code yep. that, you know, assembly okay. that give you a bunch of functionality, such as, you know, check in, check out. So as a part of your build, you oh. could, you know, get everything from source control and things like that. Uh, but MS Build is kind of painful to work with. And I'm guessing Ant is, is even more painful because I remember in my XML thing that I posted, people pointed to Ant as like sort of penultimate example yeah. of bad XML. Oh, okay. I was hoping that they would say it was bad. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was wondering if they were like, no, how could you How could you hate, hate on XML? Like, we have Ant. Look how great it is. There are still people who are very, very upset about that post. I was really surprised how deep that went. Because uh, I just viewed it as like, okay, maybe there's alternatives to XML, and people were like, like mortally wounded by that. That they like, like I, I can't believe you said that. I have <laughs> one of my favorite things anyone has ever posted on my blog is I have lost all remaining respect for you based on this post. <laughs> you know, like they had a little reservoir of respect for me. Yeah. You know, and it was really low. Yeah. Really low. They had like, worn know, down most half of it. Gallon of respect left, and then oh, yeah. that's all gone because of what I wrote. Yep. I found that that, that like almost killed me when I read that. That was very very funny. Not you know that, what I find really strange? What's that? Is this? I don't. There's something that I find really strange, which is that people will send me an email saying, "I agree with everything you say except for this one thing." Oh yeah, that happens to me all the time too. And that's like that's good. That's cool. I'm glad that you're think you're still thinking critically. But it's sort of. Did it ever occur to you that maybe the fact that you agree with everything I say means that you should? in some way give me some extra authority and on this one thing that I'm saying that you disagree with just to open your mind a little bit maybe maybe actually I'm right about everything is it possible <laughs> or is that <laughs> are you really do you really believe that you're right about everything <laughs> no 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 but if you agree with everything like fine and you should agree with like about half of what I say that would be about right yes and you, but if you're really agreeing with everything I'm saying and there's that one thing that you don't agree with yeah. maybe the problem is that one thing not you would agree. Let, let give you another example, and I'm not to talk about politics in any way, shape, or form. But if you go to the Hillary Clinton website right now and look on the forums, you'll find an endless stream of people saying that they love Hillary, they totally support Hillary, they will never in a million years ever vote for Barack Obama, who actually won, and uh, they're going to vote for McCain instead. And it's kind of weird that there's such devoted fans of Hillary, yet when she says, "Okay, I lost. Let's all vote for Barack Obama because he's the one that's got the." closest platform to the one that that i support they're not willing to take that extra step like they're so devoted to hillary that they're not willing to be devoted to her 
in this way. Right. It's kind of weird. And it, maybe it just shows like a real independent-mindedness that, that maybe, maybe it's unique to Americans or programmers or maybe everybody's that way, that they're just not willing to uh, – uh, even the people that they have the ultimate respect for, they're not really willing to give them respect. You know, they're not going to go the last mile and actually be forced to disagree. Right believe something that they disagree with. Right. No, it's definitely a, a similar sentiment, and I've heard it expressed several times exactly that way, where I agree with everything you said except for this one thing. And I always right. – that's another thing I found I find very amusing. We, we also, by the way, I can't remember – we, we must have made some reference to politics in the last podcast. We immediately got a negative yeah. feedback on that. <laughs> so we do have to be careful <laughs> – now, you see, this time, notice I, I was referring to something that happened in politics without taking sides on it. Yes, good. Well I think done. what it was in the last podcast that I said, which I'll just repeat now for good measure, yes. is that the trouble with people um, using anecdotes instead of actual scientific fact in order to tell little stories about things, it's like it's all nice and innocent when it comes to blogs. But, but when journalism fails us, uh, you can go to war by mistake <laughs> when, when, journalism, when, when the journalists fail to actually do their homework. Right. There's the politics. One more time. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. I'll tell you, every time I get, uh, I'll occasionally click through to some political blog, and I'm always really, really sorry that I did, because <laughs> people get so angry. Yeah. I mean, the whole political yeah. blog, I just don't understand it because it's like. But the, you know, they only read the blogs they agree with 100. percent It's like it's like juggling chainsaws. It's just like a thankless thing that there's just so much fighting that goes on. I mean, there's enough fighting over just general writing that goes on, but. Politics, politics, just oh, I, I don't get it. But you know, I guess if that's what you're into and that's what you want to do, I mean, I, I guess you know, it's like lawyers. It's like they get paid to argue, basically. So they become <laughs> some people really like it. I mean, you probably knew some people in college that were in the campus political union or whatever, and the idea of having a debate about something that they could not care less about is enormously appealing. <laughs> right. Of course, here we are talking about politics. I'm sorry, I've done exactly what we're not supposed to do, and uh, for that, I, well, it's a meta discussion that we're talking about. Talking yeah. about politics. All right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about that. Okay, the 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 feedback I got that I kind of liked actually. Uh, various people have been emailing me. So some people said they want to talk a little bit more about business. Okay. Side of things. I don't even know what. Well, uh, we still have your book list. We haven't talked about that. You want to talk about uh, that? Yeah. Oh geez. Well, I got I got four questions all queued up. Oh no no no. Yeah, let's do questions. I feel bad too because we've done a lot of blah 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 and we haven't done a good right. job of really getting questions in the last few podcasts. So maybe that's the right thing to do. Let's do a bunch of questions today. I'm going to start with uh, John Topley asking a business question, since some people wanted to talk more about business. Hi, Jeff and Joel. It's John Topley from the UK. In Troy McClure fashion, Joel, you might remember me as a moderator of your design on software forum. Anyway, I see that 37 Signals have just launched an affiliate program. The twist is that not only do you earn 50% of the first payment, but you get 5% of all future monthly payments. Joel, I know that you've blogged in the past about how Fog Creek's Waste affiliate program time. didn't really work out. So I wondered if you guys think 37 Signals will do any better. Uh, no, it's a complete waste of time. I love 37 Signals. More power to them. They're not, what they're going to get, they are going to get people doing this. Half of them are going to be people that would have signed up anyway. Uh, um, you know, they're, they're making their own account and paying themselves their own affiliate payment just as a way of scrounging a few pennies. Um, it's it's just a it was just a huge waste of time. Huge. So you don't like affiliate programs in at all in any they, con, any way. They just they just don't drive any business. No, 
Well, you know, it's hard for me to take that seriously because I, I got to tell you, I derive a significant percentage of my income today from affiliate traffic on Amazon. It's just Amazon. Well, Amazon is different. And, and the reason Amazon is different is that Amazon sells millions and millions of products to millions and millions of people. And there are millions and millions of people with Amazon links and Amazon accounts and millions and millions of people willing to buy from Amazon. So if you link to a book at Amazon, it's going to be you know, some, some substantial percentage of the people that click on that link already have an Amazon account, are interested in the book, want to buy from Amazon, and they'll do it. But uh, with 37 Signals, they're, just, they're not at that scale. There's not... They're not. Uh, they don't have enough products, really, for it to be worth it for anybody to make a lot of effort building these affiliate sites. What we got, I'll tell you, because we did it, and it, it was just a waste of time. And I, every month, I had to write all these seventeen-dollar checks and mail them to four corners of the earth. It was an enormous waste of time. What we discovered is that uh, the biggest category was people of, of of actual affiliate payments was people who had set up their own affiliate account for their own purchase, which you can make against the rules, but you know you can't really police that stuff, and who cares anyway. So uh, polices that very well, actually. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, they police it because it's kind of a big deal. I mean, it's they're big. It's a big thing. Right. You can't. The thing about Amazon is it's sort of like it, it, it's 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 such a huge exception in in e-commerce. Mm-hmm. It's the only affiliate program that works. Literally. I mean, can you think of any others? Well, I I participate in several others. So I can tell you what they are. <laughs> yeah. eBay, you get, had, you eBay just launched. Surprisingly, they had outsourced theirs to Commission Junction. It's one of the biggest sort of mm-hmm. third-party ones that'll do it if you want to outsource the whole, like the writing of the $17 checks, you would go to Commission Junction, they become a middleman, mm-hmm. uh, and they offer your catalog, whatever it is, and people can do it through there. So I've done stuff through Commission Junction, specifically through Newegg, because I buy a lot of computer hardware, and I tend to recommend hardware. You've probably seen me post about that in the past. Oh, yeah. So I'll affiliate through uh, Commission Junction. <clears throat> do you get a lot of... Uh, do you get a lot of Compared to Amazon, do you get a lot of money from those other ones? Well, that's the thing. Amazon's affiliate program is actually very, very favorable terms. They have extremely favorable terms, which I didn't really appreciate until I started mm-hmm. using other affiliate programs. Uh, I know on a previous podcast, we've also talked about sort of the other big dog. Um, well, it's not really affiliate, but I guess AdSense. Um, but in yeah, that's of, a different, yeah, that's different story. Together. Yeah, different thing. Uh, but Commission Junction, for sure. Uh, Amazon and uh, eBay. eBay now has their own uh, affiliate program, which is insane that they didn't have it earlier because eBay is such a, a, a you know eight hundred pound gorilla. <laughs> right. Um, so but so these are these are gigantic. These are ginormous compared to thirty seven signals. And what happens is that you wind up with uh, you just wind up with a very small population of potential clickers and. And so forth. So I was I was listing what happened when we did our affiliate program. The, uh, uh, like I say, a bunch of people were just doing it for their own for themselves. A bunch of people just never got any uh, affiliate commissions at all. A bunch of people were uh, these professional affiliate link building website type people mm-hmm. who who whose day job apparently ever since they got laid off from the peanut butter plant consists of maintaining a gigantic website with about a million affiliate links on it and maybe trying to grab some traffic somehow to it through some kind of devious domain squatting type thing. But the main point is that we would look at, at these sites that were linking to us, and it would be a page with about 400 affiliate links on it and nothing else that nobody would ever really go to that's being studiously maintained by some stay-at-home mom who uh, I'm afraid to say is probably not making very much money on anything, uh, maybe on the Amazon links, but certainly not on the, the links to like little software products. So it's just... It was just not. It was just not doing for doing it for us. And and the other thing is, um, 
Uh, hey, you just uh, you just emailed me the other day that old article book that Anil Dash wrote about how Google Answers failed because they were trying to pay people. Right. It's the you get the exact same problem with affiliate payments. Is that as soon as people start thinking, I'm linking to Fog Creek Software or Thirty Seven Signals because I'm getting fourteen cents on the sale or fourteen dollars or whatever, then they might also think, you know, I've just sold out for fourteen dollars and I don't really need the fourteen dollars. Or they might think. As soon as you, you, you make it explicit that you're rewarding them with money, mm-hmm. then uh, this is another one of those cognitive dissonance things, right? Then they understand why they're doing it. They're doing it for the money. And they're thinking of this trade-off, I am providing this link because of the money. And that, what, what, what psychologists call an extrinsic motivation, the, the motivation because of something external, the money, displaces their own personal desire to link to you because they like you. Right. In other words, you're t- you're, you're at the, the best you can do is take a bunch of people who just love Basecamp or Campfire or any 30 signals, 37 Signals uh, products because they're really good products. And uh, uh, all those people that were, would have talked about you happily and would have linked to you are now suddenly thinking, eh, yeah, I'm linking to them and I'm getting $4. And they're sort of forgetting how much you know, they like the product in the first place, or it sort of displaces that kind of motivation. So if anything, they actually become less motivated to link to you. All those people that would have happily linked to you and then thought, I must be linking to you because your product is good. And it would have, every time they linked to you or mentioned you, they'd be remi- reminding themselves how much they like the product. And now every time they link to you, they're reminding themselves how much they like those four bucks. Right. It was interesting. So, uh, when, yeah. I, when I read about that, I actually considered, like, oh, I should link to them. And I realized, no, 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 I shouldn't link to them because I don't, really use their products. I mean, I have used uh, one of their products on, on like some small project on the side. Um, mm-hmm. But you should only link to things you really use. I mean, that's sort of my philosophy. So you're right. The very introduction of money made me think of it in a way that I shouldn't have, which is I should link right. to things that I use as a normal course of talking about it. Uh, yeah, so you, you realize that. that you're losing a little bit of credibility. I actually, um, it's kind of interesting, but I actually at one point uh, I, I, I think I was linking – when I when I linked to books in the early days, I don't even know if they had an affiliate program at Amazon at that time or maybe I didn't know about it. Uh, and when I would mention the name of a book, I would link to Amazon because it was the only uh, website in the year 2000 that had a complete list of every book. Right. And those became the canonical link page. The can- canonical link target for a book was you know click here to buy it on Amazon because you would find out more information about the book right. uh, and you could buy it right there. And so that just became – you know, even before it was a commercial, one of many commercial sites, it was the canonical target link address for a book. And at some point, they they added the affiliates program, and I said, "What the heck?" And I went in and created an affiliate program there. And uh, over time, you know, I've made like three hundred dollars or something, and I've kind of come to regret it because um, I'd almost rather have a website that I knew was a hundred percent profit free, just because it, you sort of have more legitimacy when you're when you're not like honestly if you start linking 37 signals to get those four dollars then you're going to lose a lot more credibility than those four dollars are worth i I don't have much credibility though so that's right yeah you only have a little bit of credibility left and (laughs) i have like a like an ounce so they may (laughs) all remaining respect for me if i if i do that but no that's a great point and amazon is a useful link target right like even if you don't care about the commerce part of it you would yeah. link to Amazon because, hey, there's user reviews, which I talked about yeah. on the blog. There's uh, information about the book, how many pages it is, who published it. So it's kind yeah, of like unless the author, unless the author has his own private page, it's a good canonical link for any book. Right. 
That's right. That's right. So that's why it's also a little different when you think about just arbitrarily linking to stuff to make money. Um, does the link actually have value? If somebody clicked on it and they weren't really going to buy, would it be you know informational at least so they could learn? Like the whole Wikipedia aspect, which is a nonprofit, which is a big difference, and also a third, an objective source. Like Amazon isn't necessarily objective about the book because they want you to buy it, right? <laughs> so I think that's a great point, and, and it, there's a whole related conversation I won't have now, but about why Wikipedia is such a powerful link target where I, I have this opinion I actually don't think it's an opinion I think it's a fact where Wikipedia is going to own every link there is but I, I'm not sure that's a bad thing oh just no you know they're always going to want to be encyclopedia like whatever that means right they're not going to want to they're not going to want to own the link for uh, you know custom corporate mug mugs with your corporate logo embossed on them true and there are going to be people searching for that. Right. No, there's, there's probably a category of stuff that wouldn't end up on Wikipedia. Yeah. But it's it's pretty much like a, a black hole of, of gravity, though. It really does draw in so strongly. It's, it's hard to resist. You think they'll ever have uh, um, all, the, all the little minutia about programming that Stack Overflow is going to have? No, 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 no. I guess that's true, too. There's also stuff that can fall between the cracks, yeah, there, and, and you know it's the whole long tail thing, right? <laughs> I mean, there's you know maybe a hundred, couple, maybe let's say a million, a million top level topics that Wikipedia will totally own, right? Mm -hmm. As number and one link result for. But they're real aggressive about weeding out stuff that they just don't think is interesting, like you know every single character in the Smurfs. Well, actually, that's probably still there, but you know they're they're they're, uh, <laughs> they're there's there's large categories of things that they kind of aggressively weed out, and they say you know this is just too detailed or not encyclopedia worthy well i, I don't want to talk too much about wikipedia because i want to get to more questions but that's okay. actually what you're what you're referring to is inclusionists versus deletionists so there's two mm -hmm. schools of thought there one is everything there ever could be should have an article right mm -hmm. that's inclusionists and then there's deletionists which is uh the, the classic wikipedia thing is you know it's it's i forget the exact term but it's like this is not notable i think that's it not notable not notable not Will there ever be an article that's like items that were in Joel Spolsky's trash can on June 6, 2008? <laughs> you know, the inclusionists would say, hey, you know, if people want to read about it, if it, you know, someone's motivated to post it, then it's by definition there's enough people in the world that care about it. And why not? Because it's not like you have a physical bookshelf. It's not like you're right. taking up space. It's not taking up space. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And that, uh, coming back to something we talked about earlier, that's actually the blog entry that Nicholas Carr linked to. Uh, was inclusionist versus deletionist because he was talking about Wikipedia and evidently had done a Google search and found my little article on it. Um, oh, cool. It's an interesting topic. But hey, let's get to the next uh, question. All right, here's a question by uh, Matthew Glidden. I don't remember what it's about, but I'll play it anyway. Hi, Jeff and Joel. This is Matthew Glidden from uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I've been listening to each of the podcasts and enjoying them. Um, I had a question that related to a blog that Seth Godin recently posted where he oh, yeah. posited that it was better for people to be the best specialist you could be rather than a jack-of-all-trades, which would, I think, be part of any sort of startup. You'd have to put on so many hats that you, even though you had a particularly strong skill, you, out of necessity, would have to handle other things. And I was wondering what you thought, if you had read what Seth posted about this a few days ago. And if Did you, you read that, Jeff? Uh, the, the thing he's talking about from Seth Godin? Yeah. 
No, I haven't. But I have read the quote, I, specialization I, is for insects, which I thought was funny. Uh, I think there's really <laughs> two stories here. I, I, I think, so there's the whole long tail principle of, you know, and you, t- you talked about it earlier with when your example of the communities from Clay Shirky's book. You have these communities of really unusual things, right, where people have been able to find each other through the Internet, um, that it's kind of obscure, so weird that there's just not enough people in the world, uh, say in Des Moines, Iowa, um, to find each other and do this thing. But on the Internet, they can come together, right? There's a large enough number uh, for them to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's specialization. Um, so I, I think it works in both dimensions, and I think it depends what problem you're trying to solve. Uh, I, I think there's a place for, for being a generalist, and there's a place for being a specialist. Um, I don't know. When it comes so to I software development, that, I'm a little more torn there because I'm definitely a generalist. So I, I'm going to be a little defensive about that. Uh, I, I don't uh, get really I think narrow. A lot of people misunderstood. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people misunderstood uh, what Seth was saying. He basically said, uh, you know, uh, here, and I'm going to read the quote from uh, Seth's uh, website. Uh, he said, if I need an animator, I can find the world's best animator. If I need a bond to insure my movie, I can find the best broker at selling completion bonds. Uh, et cetera, dot, 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 uh, not the second best or someone who will try really hard or someone who's pretty good at that and also good at other things. Um, when choice is limited, I want a generalist. When selection is difficult, a jack-of-all-trades is just fine. But whenever possible, please bring me a brilliant specialist. And uh, I think um, where Seth is coming from here is not talking about whether a person uh, – and this, I think, Matthew, is where you're sort of misinterpreting it a little bit um, – They. Uh, there's a there's a there's a marketing concept which Seth is obviously familiar with uh, being a marketing expert um, called positioning, uh, and the concept of positioning um, came from one of the books on my list I think by uh, Reeson Trout, which is called surprisingly positioning, and the idea is that a uh, a given product or a given company or a given product line has to occupy exactly one slot in people's brains. Um, so for example, uh, Hertz can be the car rental agency. Avis can't have that slot. And so Avis had to come up with a different slot. They came up with, we're number two. We try harder. And they occupied a slightly different slot, slot in people's minds. And uh, similarly, um, Microsoft with Windows came up with, we're the operating system that runs all the computers on everybody's desks. And so that wasn't available when Apple needed uh, an operating system. And so they have to be the uh, cool home alternative computer that's really powerful and sleekly designed and so forth. And they're trying to occupy kind of a different position in your mind. So similarly, uh, you know, if you were going to go to a restaurant, um, would you, and you wanted some Thai food, would you go to a Thai restaurant or would you go to a restaurant that sort of had Thai, Chinese, Japanese, and Mexican food all, all on the menu? I, I think you might guess that the Thai restaurant is going to be a little bit better at Thai food. That's what you really want. But if you want like a burrito on the side, you might go to the. <laughs> no, no, you don't want a burrito. No, you want that. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, so the, the the marketing experts always have this approach that it's better to have a narrower product than a wider product for for, for many reasons. And in fact, uh, one of the things that one of the reasons so many of these Web 2.0 companies fail is that they try to be too horizontal. They try to have a product for everybody, and they end up getting nobody. And uh, because they're just not being specific enough and people don't people have very specific needs. And if you have a very specific product that meets somebody's very specific needs, that person will find you, especially in the age of Google. Whereas if you have a product that solves everybody's problems, then you you won't really. So, for example, if you need to make uh, if you're a, uh, a, pl- a plumber 
and you're just getting started and you're putting a big yellow pages ad, you can just say, I'm a plumber. I can do anything. You know, I'm kind of good at all kinds of stuff and I'm, I'm just learning, but I'll be able to do just about any plumbing task you have. And you can put that ad in the yellow pages and you look just like every other plumber that's there and you won't get any phone calls. Um, on the other hand, if you say, you know, I, I really understand uh, those, those, those German Dornbracht faucets. I'm an expert on Dornbracht faucets. It might seem like you're reducing the potential audience of customers that you have, but what you're actually doing is attract, is you, you have no customers. What you're doing is you're now attracting a bunch of new customers who will say, oh, good, I got a Dornbracht faucet. I'm going to call that plumber because that's the plumber who knows about my kind of faucet. And all of a sudden you start getting calls. And that's sort of a general marketing principle, which is if you're having trouble attracting an audience, the first thing to try doing is figure out if you could just narrow to a much more specific audience and cater specifically to them and provide a better product for them. So I think that's what Seth was talking about. I don't think he was really talking about like a CEO of a company, obviously, especially in a startup, does need to wear every single hat and needs to be the accountant and the programmer and the system administrator and the payroll specialist and the HR specialist and all those things, the marketer for their company. That's definitely true. But uh, I think a startup or a young company is always going to be uh, is always going to do better if they can narrow uh, the number of potential customers that they serve rather than trying to go after after a horizontal market. Right. No, I, I think that's a great point. And I, I, I love Seth. I think he's got a lot of really interesting things to say. But sometimes I think he does a little – he does engage a little bit in the marketing doublespeak. I mean he does it in a very cool <laughs> way that makes you feel sort of enlightened. <laughs> but, I mean, it's interesting that he, on this post, you sent me the link out of band, which was nice. Um, he puts a whole coda at the end explaining his position because I guess he got a lot of people that misunderstood what he was saying. Yeah, and he yeah I think he just got – He's saying two things at the same time. He's not really <laughs> taking a position. You know, He's saying, oh, it's okay to specialize in being a generalist. It's like, well, what does that even mean? Specialize in being a generalist. Okay, it's already now. We're, now we're in 1984, right? You're, it's, 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 um, but I, still, it, it is good to think about this stuff um, as long as you don't take it too seriously. Uh, specializing, specializing in being a generalist would be uh, being the kind of person that's like maybe a management consultant, where we hire you because you're willing to see the big picture and you know a little bit about everything, and you can actually come in and give us sort of a general solution. Or, uh, you know, if it's a, let, let's take an example of a, a startup company may need somebody to be a CEO who is a generalist and knows about lots of these things, and that's what they're good at. Whereas at maybe at another phase in the life cycle of that company, they might need somebody who's really good at sales or marketing or technical skills or something like that. Right. And then to, to uh, your previous point of where it really is valuable from a business perspective to specialize, uh, I, I like uh, Larry O'Brien's blog. He wrote a, a neat entry where he talked about um, sort of how his blog helps him get business, and he pointed out something interesting that he made this one blog post about Saber, which is the I think the airline reservation software. It's been around a long time, yep. and that yep. single post had resulted in more business for him than all he had been very into. I think uh, like pen, the pen stuff that mm -hmm. was doing. Uh, he's like, yeah, I spent a lot of time on this pen stuff, but it never really resulted in any business for me. Whereas this one Saber post I made <laughs> resulted yeah. in all this business for me. So that's an example of specialization, right? The people who care about the Sabre yeah. stuff found him probably through Google and uh, saw that he knew about it mm -hmm. and were hiring him and so on and so forth. So I, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a real tendency. You'll see a lot of uh, uh, young people that start out as independent IT consultants 
and they just they, 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 they'll take any job. They just want a job. And so people say, well, what do you do? And they say, well, everything, really. I can learn any programming language, any API. Whatever you throw at me, I'll learn it. I'll be good at it. It's fine. I can do all this stuff. Do you want me as a system administrator? you want me to write code? you want me as a DBA? I can do all that stuff, you know, and I'll learn it. And I'm young and enthusiastic. And this just doesn't – this is just not appealing. Whereas if they came out on the very first day and said, you know what? I'm an expert at stored procedures in Microsoft SQL Server 2000. I don't really know much about this 2005 thing, but SQL I don't know about functions or views mm-hmm. or select states. But God, stored procedures, boy, do I know that cold. And you know what? There's going to be somebody who needs a consultant and wants some help on stored procedures in SQL Server, and they're going to find you, and now you have a customer. Right. Well, that does run contrary, because if you participate in the sales department, it's like, okay, the answer is always yes, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. When someone says, oh, can you just well, okay. oh, we can tell get them. somebody calling you? Fine. That's the difference between sales and marketing. <laughs> the sales department always says yes in the marketing. See, there's a tendency to think the audience of my potential customers and the number of people with a problem, the percentage of people in the world that have a problem times the percentage of problems in the world that I can solve. And so the larger the number of problems that I can solve, the larger the number of people that are my potential customers and therefore – the more customers I should have theoretically. And that seems to make a lot of sense. Unfortunately, you haven't really explained how these people find you and why they would want to use you. And it's real easy to, 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 to specialize. You can be the restaurant that has outdoor seating so you can bring your dog right. and without violating that. you know. And you can just put in an ad saying, you know what, the food's not so good, but boy, are we dog friendly. We'll bring your dog a little bowl of water and a treat while you eat your hamburgers. Right. Yeah, no, great point. And I, I do love Seth. He's got a lot of really interesting things to say. But I think sometimes there is a little bit of doublespeak there. The marketing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is marketing. You know, It's very good marketing, right? It's like the kind you, you sort of like yourself for reading it, but it, it's still marketing. You know, let's be clear about <laughs> this. Uh, but yeah, so let's, let's do another question. That was a really good one. All right, here's an answer, actually. Hello, Jeff and Joel. This is Jim McKeith, and I have the solution to your password storage challenge. What you need to do is reverse your premise. Instead of trying to synchronize stored passwords across multiple computers, instead you need a reproducible way of generating a secure password. And that solution to that is passwordmaker.org. It's an open source program that uses a secure hash, your super secret password, and the URL of the site you're wanting a password for to regenerate the same password every time for each site. Since it's a pass or a, uses a hash, you can't reverse it. They can't ever get your super secret password. All your passwords are independently secure and reproducible. Check it out, passwordmaker.org. Thanks a lot. I've really enjoyed your podcast and look forward to participating in Stack Overflow. Did you get that? Yeah, I'm looking at it now. But to me, so, this is another piece of software that I have to install, which makes it kind of. I don't oh, they know, could make it. It's not my preferred solution. Uh, no, but, but 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 this is the cool part. It never occurred to me that it's not a way of storing a password for every site. It's a way of consistently regenerating the same secure password for every site, so you don't have to store anything anywhere. Right. It's yeah, just no, all. I, I understand how it works. I'm just uh, a little torn by the whole concept. You're sick and tired of it. So look, they got a widget. They got a JavaScript. They got a Yahoo widget. You know, if they have a Yahoo widget, you can just add it to your My Yahoo page. You don't even have to. I, install. I don't know. I'm. I can be a little difficult when it comes to topics like this. I mean, but I, nobody has to use the, the solution that I use, which is I just feel like some of this stuff should be in your brain. Of course, I'm the guy who doesn't even like using it. I have in your brain. I have like 600 websites that I had to make accounts for. Right, but somebody made the point in, in a comment on a post I made, which was you really only have probably three 
variants of your password. You have like the super secure one you're going to use for things that really matter, like huh. money stuff. Yeah. You have like one you use for stuff that, eh, it's kind of important. You want a password that, you know, doesn't suck too much there. And then you have passwords for sites that, I mean, really, does it even matter? If someone like compromised the password to, you know, this, this dinky little, you know, hammocks.com. Does yeah, that they got my pay. They got my credit card at hammocks.com. Wait, <laughs> but this is not the. Uh, I, I I don't. I mean, that would be good, but I actually use Password Safe, and I generate a unique, strong password for every site. That's and you're like, you know, you're like a hardcore geek. That's why. Yeah, because yeah, after a while, you get. I mean, it's possible to be anal retentive in every possible direction, or to be yeah, obsessive compulsive about. <laughs> And, so, you know, and, and again, everybody – it's good to bring these solutions to light so everybody can find one that they like. Just because I don't care for this one doesn't mean it's wrong, of course. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely on board with this whole open ID thing. I mean, I I really want to see that take root because I believe in it. <laughs> this is this looks kind of popular. Password maker. Five tools to bulletproof Firefox. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, www.passwordmaker.org. Uh, thanks, Jim, for that suggestion. There's some other suggestions in the inbox. Maybe we'll get to the next week. Anything else we have for this week? Well, I should point out it's actually not www. It's just passwordmaker.org. That is true. The www. <laughs> what happened to there, I had a funny blog entry. Well, I thought it was funny. Uh, this show, uh, Home it's Movies, movies. which is an animated thing, they had a whole skit about... It's a sex site. No, what? I'm just kidding. Just <laughs> they had a whole skit about whether you should say www. You know, and it's just, I found it very amusing. My wife and I would quote it to each other all the time, so uh, I'll put a link to it in the summary. But yeah, it is annoying that when you talk about sites, you actually can get it wrong, right? Like you can say, ooh, I said, you know, www, but it doesn't actually belong. Begin with www, or vice versa. Say you said passwordmaker.org. Well, it's actually www.passwordmaker.org, but is that inferred, right? Do you really need to say it? Is it really, I don't know. (laughs) The whole thing is just annoying, you know? It's like, I wish we had kind of just decided on one or the other and everybody did it that way. You know what the number one search used to be at Google.com? What? Google.com. Oh, right. Of course. And uh, I think number two was Yahoo. And <laughs> the, the reason they finally figured out is because they had a little bit of JavaScript in the page that moved the focus to the search box. So it's not that people were searching for Google.com on Google.com because lots of people are retarded in that particular way. It's that... They just started typing Google.com, thinking that the uh, focus would be on the address bar like it's supposed to be, only to discover that, that, that Google had stolen the focus and had put it in that box. Right. Oh, uh, the, the focus stealing. Oh, man, that drives yeah. me nuts. That happens right? in- they take the, they take the, the key, keyboard focus away from the address bar and put it in the search box, which just save you reaching for the mouse, so it's a nice thing, but... I think that's let's talk. I know it's we're at one hour, but I, I want to spend two minutes talking about that because mm-hmm. I did have a blog entry talking about the evils of focus stealing, which can be really traumatic, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what you're doing. But yeah, you the browser typing. one is particularly egregious because the the default Google search page in Firefox does that, and I had to finally turn it off. I have a sorry. We'll have to edit that out. I forgot I had a phone here. I get so few calls. <laughs> I had to actually change <laughs> the default me, actually. behavior yeah. of uh, Firefox in that regard, which I use about blank. That's always my homepage because I'm that's mm-hmm. what I like. It's my homepage. Yep. I used that for a long time. <laughs> yeah, but um, it was really traumatic because I would fire up a new browser, press Alt D to go to the top, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I'm typing in the the Google search box. It, it well, half the letters are in the top, and then half the letters are down in the Google search box, and right. Depending right, on how right. the JavaScript thing launches up. Right. 
Oh, this phone. It's, it's not good. It's not good. There's something even more annoying is uh, the just throw it at the wall really hard. <laughs> well, it's actually a call I need to take, so. Well, right. let's just end it here. Since we- let's end it here. This is you have been listening to Stack Overflow podcast number nine. If you have feedback, suggestions, or anything you want to talk about, record a ninety-second uh, sound clip, MP3 or Og Vorbis or whatever the case may be, and email it to podcast at stackoverflow.com. Yep. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yep. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Joel Cherney. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.